Welcome to Tile Talk. This is your host, Shamana Kalamangalam. It's close to a year since the pandemic struck us. Millions have died since then and millions are suffering. Lockdowns, curfews and stay at home have been the norm to reduce the spread. The vulnerable segment of the population are the maximum sufferers, the sick, the ailing and the seniors. High number of deaths have been in long-term care homes or senior residences. People are working from home and shunning the office space. Events that drew large gatherings have been cancelled. Interior space that encourages large crowds have been closed. Well, all is not doom and gloom. The arrival of vaccines has been a big boon. We're able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. People at large are willing to rough it out for a few months before normalcy returns. And we do not know what normalcy, how it's going to be. Governments are talking of recovery and preparing to rebuild the economy. But there's caution in the air. This time around, they want to be much more responsible. Green recovery is the buzzword. Renewed thinking and redesign of interior spaces are gaining traction. To walk us through an effective recovery using design, let me welcome Carlos Gonzalez, Associate Senior Designer at one of the leading architectural firms, NOR. Welcome to the show, Carlos. Thank you, Shimano. Glad to be uh, with you on Tile Talk. In your opinion, Carlos, did design of a space in any shape or form contribute to the spread of the infection? Well, as uh, we all we're all aware, COVID nineteen is a highly contagious respiratory disease, uh, which spreads between people, mainly when an in- infected person is in close contact with another person. So it's more like we say, between people and not so much the product of the space. So, but in, in closed and crowded indoor settings, there is a higher risk of it spreading compared with the outdoors where the flow of fresh air can dilute and uh, dissipate the, the virus particles. So the indoor air buildings can play a significant role in the transmission of a wide range of infections. Mm-hmm. Um, aerosolized infectious agents may be introduced uh, to the air by room occupants through actions such as uh, coughing, sneezing, singing, shouting, or just even talking. These microorganisms bearing droplets evaporate rapidly to form uh, uh, droplet nuclei that can remain suspended in air long periods of time. And uh, ventilation systems and convection currents within the rooms and spaces can disperse these droplets over uh, a wide area with the potential to infect the other occupants. So really, it's kind of the interaction of people within these spaces. And that's why um, um, the lockdown, for the most part, I guess the, uh, I would say a lot of the assembly spaces that, uh, whether they be theaters, uh, sports uh, venues, restaurants, uh, where people are in close contact with one another, obviously contribute to the spread. And it's primarily because of the proximity. Um, You know, at the outset of the pandemic, just as the stay-at-home measures came into effect, the design community turned its attention to the development of strategies and measures for the safe reopening of the workplace. As part of NOR's uh, Return to Work Committee, 
uh, I was part of a group that undertook a deep dive to really assess our operations and space requirements from the moment our staff left home to their eventual return in accordance with the local health uh, mandates and the best practices known at the time. And some of them were basically just, uh, you know, making, I wouldn't say making up, they were just well-informed practices. So the design and, of a space you feel would not have contributed that much credit? Uh, not necessarily. I just think, you know, the virus itself overwhelmed our environment, whether, you know, it's a dense urban environment or uh, just overwhelmed our capabilities uh, of the spaces and, and the way we went about our daily life. And so, like I was saying, you know, aside from the physical controls that uh, we drew up, plans for arrival at the building and egress from the building, uh, lobby and office circulation, queuing, elevator uh, access, alternate week office use, meaning splitting the, the office in, into two in half, and one comes in one week, the other one on an alternate week. And this was really to maintain separation and potentially if there is uh, transmission that it wouldn't spread across uh, the whole of the office. Are, are we to assume that uh, once we come back to work, Let's say people are vaccinated, we all, get, we, we all get vaccinated, and when we get back to our office spaces, do you think a redesign of space is on the cards, or you think the existing space suffice? Well, I think you're going to see a, a fairly uh, substantial redesign of space, and not so much uh, to deal with the pandemic, but I think one of the things that we discovered, or future pandemics, I'd say, I think one of the things that we discovered in our assessment is that, or the work from home has been quite successful uh, in terms of uh, productivity from a staffing standpoint. And I know that our, our executives are looking to offer the, the flexibility, shall we say, of how the staff basically uh, works, you know, either from home or from the office, uh, they'll, they'll be given those options. And so I think the office will reorganize itself into likely more of a hoteling environment with support spaces for the operations of the business. And that may uh, mean, you know, the, the reduction of uh, the footprint okay. or, uh, or it may actually mean the you know, increase of amenities or other uh, types of spaces within the, the work environment. You know, like I think previously one of the trends that we were seeing was, was offices becoming more like homes. Uh, you know, you're seeing the uh, the kind of the furniture layouts, the flex spaces, the uh, breakout areas and lounges, these designs that were more emulating how we uh, lived outside of the office and bringing home to the office. And all of a sudden, we were basically uh, thrust with basically taking the office home, which was the inverse. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and now, uh, I think the future uh, going forward uh, we'll still see that drive for increasing uh, kind of the, the flexibility between home and office will kind of eliminate some of the boundaries, whether, you know, you're at home, you have the office, you're at office, you have the home. So there'll likely be more amenities uh, centered on making the office a little bit more like the home. So more daycare, potentially squash courts, uh, mm -hmm. elements like that, that really, uh, you know, I think bring people out of their current shell, their house, and make them more comfortable in that work, in the work environment. Okay. In the interior design, the finishes invariably form a major part of the design because it not only adds aesthetics to the space, but also functionality. Mm -hmm. Now, 
Do you think they played a role in the spread of the virus? Uh, well, the, the general consensus is that most infections uh, or infections of COVID-19 happen directly from one person to another. Mm -hmm. uh, there does remain some concern that surfaces can be sources of infection. Uh, okay. For example, if you have COVID-19, as I mentioned before, well, mm -hmm. you cough in your hands, then you touch a door handle, then someone comes else comes by and after you and touches the same handle and then touches their face and introduces uh, the virus into their nasal cavity and thus becomes infected. So mm -hmm. in that light, they do. Uh, early on in the pandemic, uh, research suggested that viruses can live on surfaces uh, such as plastics for up to three days. Oh, okay. Even though, yeah, even though it's, yeah, and even though its survival time was much shorter on other surfaces like copper and cardboard, uh, three days became kind of a standard cutoff for most people when worrying uh, about survival of the virus outside the body. More recently, there's been a study in the Australian Center for Disease Preparedness that suggested that the virus under ideal lab conditions can survive on surfaces for up to 28 days. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so an almost tenfold increase. And the caveat there being actually that, you know, lab conditions do not always reflect uh, what happens in everyday life, right? They're really analyzing it to the nth degree. But a known fact is that viruses can't replicate outside the a host. And if left on an inert uh, surface, they'll die off after a while. And most experts now believe that COVID-19 transmission uh, via contaminated surface is probably not a major source of infection. Just before this pandemic itself, we had manufacturers of finishes, you know, they were uh, claiming that some of their products had this antimicrobial surface on them. Do you think if using those kind of surfaces would reduce infections? Well, uh, I'll be honest in voicing that I, I don't have much experience with the use of antimicrobial surfaces. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is probably when I wish I had uh, my colleagues in our health and restaurant sectors that here to provide input. But my understanding is that there are certain surface additives that inhibit or reduce the ability of microorganisms to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, it appears that such surfaces are being more widely investigated for use in, in health and safety, uh, food safety, clean room environments, and even the home. But given you know, the hardness of uh, ceramics and tiles, uh, specifically when talking about uh, some of these finishes, uh, these are fairly, I guess, um, these are surfaces that don't take well to uh, uh, hosting uh, microbes, uh, and you know if they're regularly cleaned, mm -hmm. uh, I think they're they're uh, they're not contributing uh, necessarily to the increase of uh, of virus or infections. So we could say that uh, they do uh, using ceramics or porcelain uh, do aid in providing a healthy and a safe environment. For sure, yes. You know, now that we are talking about recovery, we are talking about bouncing back to normalcy and things like that. Green recovery and sustainability seems to be the big buzzwords now. I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts on those? I'll take a little exception to the, the, the term buzzword, because buzzword by definition implies something that is very popular over a period of time and is uh, suggestive of being fashionable. And, okay. and I'm in the position, I firmly believe that green recovery and sustainability are literally 
medical necessities, uh, if I can use, uh, uh, yeah, medical necessities for an aging and ailing planet. You know, okay. I equate the, the, the condition to that of a patient whose survival is dependent on taking their da daily medications. Mm -hmm. um, and so okay. <laughs> a word that has gained currency within the scientific community is that Anthropocene, uh, which is proposed by many in the scientific and uh, scholarly uh, communities as the current uh, geological age or epoch in which, uh, in which we reside, uh, basically in which human activity, starting with uh, the industrial age, has significantly altered the earth. Mm -hmm. giving rise to global warming, you know, habitat loss, changes in the chemical composition of the atmosphere, uh, oceans and soil and animal extinctions. Uh, I don't, you know, I like I don't mean to sound alarmist, but there is a broad consensus that we are in the midst of a climate emergency. Mm -hmm. uh, there is mounting evidence that our planet's health is a lot worse than we are able to observe in real time and green and sustainability are fundamentally resiliency strategies necessary to modulate uh, further degradation of the Earth's geology and ecosystems. Do you think there's an opportunity for us to build more green or build it probably right? I mean, when you look at your various design concepts, like your sustainable design or biophilic design, do you think we need to adapt more of those? As we move forward, well, I think they're the future. They're at, they're essentially at the forefront of uh, of a lot of the design solutions that uh, we'll be implementing. I mean, you, from a global standpoint, you know, the uh, the global framework that 197 countries have signed on to the Paris Climate Agreement, um, which basically looks to achieve or the global community to achieve, mm -hmm. yeah, net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Uh, which is a very aggressive uh, requirement. And recently in the news, you've seen, uh, I think, Canada as part of their contribution to that. They have these objectives that some of them will be coming into law. Others are already, you know, through carbon pricing that uh, you, you're starting to see an escalation in terms of the value of the carbon pricing as effective measures to basically direct development in all across uh, the social sectors or uh, uh, economic sectors to a green uh, solutions and economy to bring our carbon emissions down to zero. And, you know, even Toronto as a city, uh, they have a huge, I think they're the largest public housing agency uh, in North America, um, either them or New York, I think Toronto, but Toronto's up there. They, they are uh, looking to basically uh, by 2030, uh, all new housing in, in Toronto will, will be required to be net zero. And, uh, and that's just new housing. And by 2050, they're looking to basically have uh, the majority of the new and house, existing housing be net zero. So I assume that there will be some, some kind of uh, regulatory mechanism that will drive that. Do you think uh, that, the pandemic is accelerating that? Well, interestingly, I think you know the the greening, uh, uh, green and sustainability were there and have been there, and that's our biggest that's our biggest uh, you know uh, our biggest emergency because it's not going away. That's right. Right. It's, it's a forever. Uh, we're going to be kind of uh, on life support. <laughs> the Earth, in a way, is on life support systems uh, forever. While the pandemic. Uh, 
you know, likely a temporary thing. Mm-hmm. And but what the pandemic has, I think, uh, allowed for is contemplation. And I believe a lot of people are looking at the world and mm-hmm. looking at their environment and the quality of their lives and seeing that uh, the benefits of sustainability, not only for them, but for uh, their children and the future, uh, you know, the longevity of of, spe- of the species and uh, humanity. Okay. I mean, given that you're more green-driven, I could say, or more sustainable-driven. Now, you think sustainable aspects of ceramic tiles, you know, you know, ceramic tiles globally are uh, putting in a lot of recycled content. So my question to you is, would these aspects of ceramic tile influence your choice of ceramic tile use in an interior space? Uh, yes. Uh, although, you know, uh, ceramic tiles are created from water, earth, and fire, uh, in an old age-old traditions, they've been around for the longest time. Uh, they're now supported by cutting-edge technologies, and uh, uh, ceramic tiles are some of the most sustainable materials available. Mm-hmm. You know, when you couple this with manufacturers that not only look at uh, economic and industrial processes, but have embraced sustainability as a core value mm-hmm. by looking at the product in a more holistic and social, socially responsible manner, the end result is a product that jumps ahead of the class. Such as, you know, and an example is, is, is Mosa with their commitment to bring uh, to market cradle to cradle certified products, you know, like that not only elegant, timeless aesthetics, but have been certified to meet stringent demands of ever more rigorous sustainability assessment frameworks and rating systems. So, you know, going forward, as, as these regulations come into play, we're going to be dependent on a lot of the manufacturers to back up their claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically support uh, because one of the main characteristics going forward for the design field is really about monitoring and the ability to uh, to measure the impact of our decisions uh, as a, a global community. And so those who you know who who support that cause are the ones who are going to lead. And the ones that uh, we as a design community are going to look forward because we can't do it in isolation. You know, design right. and uh, design is a is a, a collaborative and cooperative uh, endeavor where you have a, uh, you know, uh, a number of specialists contributing to the end product. And so we're going to be looking to for support and asking more of manufacturers uh, to uh, give us a hand in meeting the objectives of the project. Okay, assuming that, you know, let's set sustainability aside uh, in a ceramic or porcelain tile, what other features as a designer would you look for when you choose a ceramic or a porcelain tile? Um, What other features would I look for in choosing a ceramic or porcelain tile? Or what other Um, finishes? I mean, you know, you you do have a lot of choice of other finishes. I mean, what would gravitate you towards ceramic or porcelain? Well, in in addition to the aesthetic value and the tie into the design concepts that that are necessary, we also employ tiles for durability, life cycle, and maintenance qualities appropriate to the specific application. You know, they are, they're extremely easy to clean. They can also withstand continuous treatments with uh, disinfectants and cleaning agents, the, the waterproof uh, and non-slip surfaces designed uh, for high traffic uh, areas and, uh, and intensively cleaned areas that meet, you know, safety requirements for indoor and outdoor applications. 
ceramic tiles are surfaces with very low porosity and prevent bacteria from depositing, as I mentioned earlier, while you know, they're also frost resistant and non-slip and available for outdoor use. And thanks to their, their strength, their scratch resistance and resistance to corrosion and chemicals and durability, ceramic and porcelain tiles are sustainable products that can, can make uh, a valuable contribution to the maintenance and cost-effective running uh, of spaces. That's very, very encouraging to hear, uh, Carlos. Thanks for your insight into the post-building, I could say, in a sustainable way on the interiors and also for your insight into the ceramic hull. Thank you, Shimano. It's been a pleasure and talking to you and giving you my views on these topics. That's it for today. Uh, this is your host, Shamana Kalamangalam. Please subscribe to my latest feed on Apple, Google, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcasts. Please visit my website, tiletalk.ca, for your comments and suggestions as they are very valuable to me. Thanks for listening.